0: Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, the video game television podcasts. I am Ash Versus, and like flared trousers and wife swapping, I was acceptable in the 1970s. And I'm admiring Ash through rose-tinted rupees. My name's Cliff Foster, aka The Amazing Cliff. And this week we are travelling back to an old friend. Not so much a kind of warm, comfortable bosom, more comfortable kind of like an an arm around the shoulder as we revisit video game nation specifically video game nation season two episode one it's the 14th of february 2015 love me like you do by ellie goulding is top of the charts and big hero six is top of the box office
1: you're the light you're the night you're the colour of my blood, you're the cure, you're the pain, you're the only thing I want to touch. Never knew that it could mean so much.
0: God damn it, Cliff, we so just much. missed Uptown Funk at the top oh, of the charts. Oh, that is a tune. It, I mean I, It was there for six weeks as well. We literally just missed it. I can't believe that's
2: nine years ago. Nine years ago, Uptown Funk. That is a tune. And to be honest, this one as well, like, uh, "Lovely, Love Me Like You Do, I, that feels like that came out yesterday again.
0: I, to be honest, completely ignored it because it's from the soundtrack for Fifty Shades of Grey, which can get in the, <laughs> the <fucking> bin. <laughs> it was in Twilight fan fiction that got carried away with it. But this song was recorded for the soundtrack. Ellie Goulding didn't actually want to record it. Okay. Because Goulding had just done like songs for, ironically, Twilight and also Hunger Games and was like, I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to get pigeonholed as that soundtrack singer. But then heard the song and went, yeah, right. Except probably not quite like that. Also met the director of the film. I won't hold that against her. But it was basically, she heard the song and was like, well, this is a pretty awesome song. Didn't realise it was going to be as big as it was, but it was. It was a massive monster hit. Uh, She didn't write it. It was written for her, but that's the same with a lot of pop songs, particularly a lot of tie-in songs that come with soundtracks. And it got Grammys, which are awards. It got Golden Globes, which are less worthwhile awards. (laughs) And it topped the charts in the UK. It also got to number one in Australia, Austria, Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Luxembourg, New Zealand, Norway, Poland, Portugal, the Republic of Ireland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden and Switzerland. And peaked within the top 10 of other countries, including Belgium, Colombia and the United States. But thankfully for us, Fifty Shades of Grey
2: isn't number one at the box office. By a week or so, we miss it. I know. (laughs) We just avoid it because Big Hero 6 is there.
0: All right, let me get this straight. A man in a kabuki mask
3: attacked you with an army of miniature flying robots. Microbots, Baymax, tell him. Yes, officers. Yeah, he was controlling them telepathically with a neurocranial transmitter. So, Mister Kabuki was using ESP to attack you and Balloon Man.
0: Oh, I love this movie! This is a great movie. I got a confession. I did not see this when it came out. I did not actually watch this until a transatlantic flight, When ah, it, it was on one the in-flight entertainment, and I watched it. And I'm like, "Oh, this
2: is good." such a good movie um so to go through it obviously it's based in a a sort of futuristic slash a a parallel universe would you say because it is based in uh san fran socio Socio, france it's really hard to say that san fran socio can keep that little bit of an edit in But basically, yeah, with 14 year old lads who gets this robot, they basically go on superhero adventures. It's such a lovely little movie. And it was one of those movies where Frankie was only about two years old when this movie came out. So it was one of those things of, oh, I'm going to watch this movie. Why are you watching the Disney movie? Because Frankie might want to watch it. I didn't get to see it in the cinema, but I got it on DVD when it came out. It did really well uh, in the box office, budgeted at $165 million, and it saw a return of $657.8 million, which is humongous. But I think this was the era of disney movie after let's say like frozen where i think disney could not do any wrong
0: i don't know if they couldn't do any wrong but they certainly had more hits than misses at this point but also this was the first marvel disney movie because this was based on a marvel comic is it really yeah yeah there was there is a, a marvel comic series called big hero 6 and was the first disney animated film that came out featuring Marvel comic characters. Because you had the acquisition of Marvel in 2009, and at that point, Bob Iger basically went to all the company's different divisions and said, you know, explore the space, explore the Marvel properties, look at what we can adapt, what we can use, what we can bring to a new audience. And they picked Big Hero 6 with the logic of it being a relatively obscure title, meaning they would get more freedom to interpret it their own way. And it is. It's quite a departure from the source material. But it's, it's great. It's a brilliant little movie. It was produced almost entirely just by the Walt Disney Animation Studios. There were members of Marvel's creative team involved at various levels of production, including Joe Casida, uh, Jeff Loeb, so on and so forth. Now, because this was relatively new in the Marvel-Disney relationship and because they were making such big changes, there were reports of rifts between the two sides, particularly when it came to things like tying comics, reprints, so on and so forth. Uh, John Lasseter says that um, that bunk basically said there was no rift between the two companies and one of the producers, Roy Conley, said that Marvel gave Disney just the complete freedom in doing what the hell they want. You can see some of the Marvel heritage there. You can also see the Pixar DNA. You can see that in the creation of the characters, in the way that heart trumps spectacle when it comes to building a story. And obviously the the standout of Big Hero 6 is Baymax, the paramedic robot, inflatable, cuddly, wonderful character, just so absolutely beautiful actually went to real universities and robotics institutes to get help in coming up with the design and how it would behave and managing to come up with a robot that is almost instantly as iconic as say wally who is obviously Mm. also just an incredibly iconic and beautiful character well you think that disney
2: have so many sort of properties under them where they have immersed out of Nothing, uh, robot sort of figures like with the C three PO, R two D two. Even though he is a object, you get an emotional, ta- an emotional attachment to him. And actually, do you know what? Thinking back to Wally, that was one of the weirdest movies because I cried at Wally. I really did. But if you have a look at the context of Wally, I grew an atto- um, emotional attachment to an object that didn't speak many words at all. And the same happened with R2 in Star Wars. But how they made it work and how they made it
0: move, it felt realistic with um, Baymax. Ironically, one of the most iconic Baymax moments in that film is, you know, when his battery is running low. And he's like, (laughs) hairy baby. Hairy baby. Hairy baby. Lassiter hated that. Oh, did he? he? wanted that cut. And then when it first got a test screening and the audience reacted to that line, Laster mm. was like, yeah, okay, you win <laughs> this round. It's funny. It's iconic that
2: moment. As I said, he's pissed, he's walking around the place but his his batteries low. I just it's so, it's so good. I need to go back and watch it. I haven't seen it for at least I reckon 5 years or so now.
0: I've not seen the film in a good 5 or 6 years. I have enjoyed the Baymax spin-offs because there's a couple of like I I didn't watch the big Hero 6 animated series that came out mm-hmm. which was more traditional animation and I don't know why it just didn't didn't click with me. But the Baymax spin-off series of little shorts That's out on Disney Mm Plus Absolutely loved that Uh, I did just want to touch on your murdering Of San Francisco earlier (laughs) And why they did that they did it because they saw the opportunity for Japanese influence there, but also because they'd never really worked in San Francisco. And they looked at the kind of the cultural aspects of San Francisco, the architecture. They looked how well it would blend with the architecture and styles of Tokyo and Japan. And so, in their headcanon, never explicitly stated in the film, but in their headcanon, you had the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. which absolutely decimated the city. But in this alternative timeline, San Francisco was mainly rebuilt by Japanese immigrants. So bringing over the Japanese influence and it playing a larger role there.
2: We'll go on to other things in this episode of alternate histories, but I really like that sort of concept of just a slight change in history and look how it
0: goes. One final note, ironically, the post credit scene only existed late in production because a lot of the kind of production and crew behind Big Hero 6 went to see Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's when they went, people are sat here waiting for a post-credits thing. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a post-credits thing. We need to put a post-credits thing in. Otherwise, people are going to go, oh, Marvel, there must be a post-credits thing. (laughs) And if we don't have it, they will go away disappointed. God's sake. Also, it won the
2: Academy Award for um, Best Animated Feature, and I was just having it having a quick look back, and I was t- having a look at the previous winners, because in my mind, it was very much Disney's award in the 90s, but no they they still continue to dominate this award because out of the seven previous years they had won it six times so in 2007 ratatouille uh 2008 already mentioned it wally 2009 up uh toy story 3 in 2010 2012 they won it with brave and then the previous year they won it with frozen the only movie that got in between them was Rango and actually having a list look at the list of the movies that were up for nomination it did seem like that was a year that maybe just Disney didn't have anything big that was launched even though this movie did actually win over How to Train Your Dragon which is another huge movie as well so it's, it's not like it's it's a walk in the park like some of these other movies like frozen one at the year before against despicable me too brave one against one of the understated disney pixar animated movies and that's wreck it ralph i flipping love wreck it ralph
0: i love wreck it ralph and i'm hoping we'll get to cover it at some point because boy howdy you want to talk about video game related oh that's definitely out there Looking at the all-format charts for the week ending the 14th of February. So literally, this is the chart that would have come out the day the episode of Video Game Nation we're talking about aired. At number 10, we've got Destiny. Cliff, have you ever played Destiny? No. (laughs) Me neither. Moving on. Number 9, a series still going to this day, Assassin's Creed Unity. Okay, which one was Unity? I think Unity was the one based in
2: London. I thought, no, that wasn't that Syndicate?
0: Ah, no, it's Paris. So it's European, but it is, yeah. I was just looking at the screenshot they put with it, and I'm going, is that London? But no, that was the (laughs) one set in France. I've still only played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but as I've spent over 200 hours on it, I think... You're I'm fine. No, no, I'm an expert on that game. I'm not an expert on the rest of the series. Couldn't give two shits about it.
2: The only one that I've really sank any uh, any time into, as I was just alluding to there, is Syndicate. I loved Syndicate. That was so good going around Victorian London. I, re- you feel like you feel like a mixture of the Artful Dodger and Spider Man. It's great
0: fun. <laughs> so basically, Tom Dolan doing a Cockney accent. <laughs> oh, gee, Mr. Stark, apple and pears.
2: <laughs> Please, Mr. Stark, can I have some more upgrades?
0: Actually, that's pretty much how that film went. <laughs> anyway, number eight, <laughs> Minecraft Xbox Edition. It's just another way for them to make more money. <laughs> Yeah, but Minecraft's an evergreen. I mean, I actually spent a lot of time on the 360 on Minecraft. Like, it's so weird. It is such a PC title if you really want to get into the proper heavy nuts and bolts of building realms in Minecraft. But there was just something really soothing about playing Minecraft on the Xbox 360 on the nice TV with the sound and everything. Like, I would just be happily churning away making, like, minecart trains that go all over my land. But I was still playing in survival mode. So those could still blow me up, but anyway, number seven, Far Cry Four. It's a Far Cry game. I preferred Far Cry Five. Yeah, I think Far Cry Five is the
2: one. That's the that's the one with um, what's the baddie called? The really manipulative baddie. Oh, wait, are you talking about five or four? Four. Okay, maybe it's not. No, I'm thinking of Far Cry Five, aren't
0: I? Yeah, you're thinking of the cult. Yeah. Yeah. No, this oh. one's um, Troy Baker playing Pagan Min. Number six. Oh, it's a month with a letter in it. FIFA's in the charts. FIFA 15. Shuck. <laughs> number five. Oh, it's the 2010s. Grand Theft Auto V is also in the charts. Shark. It still is. <laughs> I know. This is, is the Sky PS4. Rim... This is, is Sky... the PS4 era version. Okay. Is Skyrim still in it? <laughs> no, Skyrim oh. is not in it. But at number four for the 3DS, Ooh. Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Ooh, that's cool now keep in mind when that came out that is a very rapid advancement up the charts for that it's only a week old isn't it it's not even a week old this came out in europe on the 13th wow so we're talking a
2: day how many did it sell in one day wow that's monstrous
0: I don't know how many it sold in its first day, but I can say that in April 2015, Capcom stated that Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate was the first title in the series to surpass 1 million units shipped in Europe and North America. So that's only like two months later. And obviously, I think North America probably did the lion's share of that, but Europe would have been no slouch, and it was very well received. Shockingly, at number three, a game that has been out since November 2014, it's Call of Duty Advanced Warfare with someone in it who we're not going to talk about. Because at number two is the game that we're going to be talking about a lot this week and a lot again in two weeks' time. It's Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask 3D. That's at number two after one day on
2: sale. Now, the bonkers thing, we'll go into a bit more of the game in a minute, but the game actually outsold the original. So I'm not surprised in that at all. Not by much, but it did still outsell the original.
0: I mean, you've got the advantage that it works on both the original 3DS, but also on the new 3DS. So while there were no packing games for the new 3DS, one, you can imagine a lot of people picking it up at the same time anyway. Mm -hmm. Two, you can imagine your games and your similar doing some bundles that include it and a case and this, that and the other. So yeah, it's going to rocket right up the charts. It's kept off the number one spot by another game that is debuting and launching straight in at number one it's evolve now this is a
2: game i spent a lot of time on lots of time like we used to meet up online create a little party we used to decide what class we were gonna be And we used to go off and... Basically, if you don't know what Evolve is... It's an online uh, co-op game... Where you have to choose a different class... Everyone chooses a different class... Like Heavy, Medic, Sniper... um, And basically, I think... Wow, Sniper is like an engineer... So you have to then get ready for this monster to appear... Now, what happens to this monster... Is the longer the game goes on... It evolves and it grows and it gets more powerful so what you have to do as a team is to take this bloody thing out as quickly as possible because it will get bigger and bigger and big it is such a good game we used to i've got it literally on the shelf just over there i tell you what if the servers are still up for
0: it i might have to try and give that little bit of a blast later And it's worth saying that this is the first chart-topping title that's not part of the Grand Theft Auto franchise for Take-Two since Bioshock Infinite, another game we'll be discussing later in this episode, which came out in March 2013. Everything's interconnected. Evidence board, red string. However, that's top of the charts, all formats chart, and is a multi-format game in itself. Majora's Mask is the highest single-platform title. So that just leapt straight in at number two and again monster hunter 4 ultimate straight in at number four handheld gaming
2: is such a big thing at this time and to be honest we'll go for it more when we talk about the 3ds uh xlu that it's 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 it sort of in a year's time it just dies like it dies with nintendo themselves nintendo are the ones that bring down the hammer on
0: what i consider one of my favorite consoles of all time but i imagine we're going to be talking a lot more about handhelds a lot more about the 3ds both old and new and certainly a lot more about majora's mask as we get into season two episode one of video game nation
3: coming up on video game nation Majora's Mask 3D shows us the dark side of the moon.
4: I'll be mangling memories, crushing causality, and generally ripping apart the fabric of time and space as I count down my top five favorite time travel games.
1: Dan and I chat about what's so great and what's not about the new Nintendo 3DS XL. Catchy title, by the way.
3: And our panel of beautiful experts extol the virtues of handheld gaming. It feels so personal because it's a screen that's just for you. All this and no more on this week's Video Game Nation.
2: Now, this is a TV show that you and Luke have already discussed at length about. In fact, people on this show are Luke's real life friends. So I think that we've already really covered the show itself. But was there anything else you wanted to expand on? Because what, what episodes can you remember what episode we
0: you did last time and what series that was in? So last time we touched bases with Video Game Nation, we were actually still in season one, although it was version 2.0, even in season one, because the first 20 episodes, and you can see this if you go and look at the episode guide, they were just listed as episodes. They didn't have kind of titled subject matters. They didn't have what we have here where it's like, boom, this episode is all anchored around Majora's Mask. The first time it was all around alien isolation and film tie-ins. But with that reinvention and reinvigoration, the format changed, the writing crew changed, the hosting crew changed, and here we are now, beginning of series two, with the established core trio of Dan Mayer, John Robertson, and Eva Wilson, all of whom feature in this episode. And this is the first episode of season two. This is where, okay, we've now done 20 episodes of this revised format. Let's hit the ground running. Every episode has locked themes presented from the beginning. This first episode is no exception. We've got the lead title of Majora's Mars 3D. We've got some healthy sidebar topics on both time travel and handheld gaming, which both tie so neatly back to the core title. And it is just an amazingly beautiful snapshot in time, much like mm-hmm. that Alien Isolation episode was a wonderful snapshot of where we were with movie tie-ins and arguably with Alien Isolation, one of the high points of a movie tie-in we're now at the beginning of 2015 when nintendo was still maintaining a distinction between their home video game consoles and their portable gaming consoles with the 3ds and the wii u and yet just a few very few short years later that would be turned completely on its head but you get you
2: look at let's say there were games that will be coming out one of them of this franchise breath of the wild that came out and it was a it was a wii u game i know that there have been other zelda titles in the past where they they crossed over so we had twilight princess in the past before where it was a gamecube game however it had a uh, wii release and we're having the same with breath of the wilds only literally in a couple of years not even that time i mean it's such short period so obviously we will go into depth into the wii u at some point we know what happened to the wii u (laughs) it didn't do very well so it was actually really funny at this time that they were leaning more into that handheld market and actually you look at the console that is coming on the horizon we can just see the top of it now it basically they've gone we just need to concentrate on this handheld market that we yes we need to make stunning games that people can sit down and play on their TVs but the handheld is where it's at and i think actually you look at titles like Majoras Mask 3D that's where
0: it dragged it into it the new Nintendo 3DS XL system what makes it new how about the face tracking 3D feature which makes gameplay even smoother. New is good. The new Nintendo 3DS XL system is in stores now. So just to give an idea of timeline, we're February 2015 with this episode. The new 3DS has just launched, and by that I mean the model that is called the new Nintendo 3DS. Not just the Nintendo 3DS when it was new, this is the new new Nintendo 3DS. This had already launched in japan in october of 2014 so it's already been out three months it was called the 3ds ll wasn't it in japan it was yeah Mm. now it had been announced in a nintendo direct end of august 2014 this thing was already in production when they announced it it was that mid-cycle refresh much like sony have done with the ps1 the ps2 the ps3 the ps4 and worryingly the ps5 I mean, I know we lost a chunk (laughs) of time due to the pandemic, but boy, howdy, that feels like that PS5 Slim came along very quickly. Same with what Microsoft are doing. Uh, I don't think we're going to be getting the length of time out of those consoles that we got out of the PS4, certainly. But anyway, they'd revealed it end of August. They'd released it in October in Japan. And now a very short space of time later, it debuted in North America and Europe almost at the same time. Cliff, off the top of your head, when do you think work on the Switch started development? I reckon it already is. Oh, yeah. It started shortly after 2012 when the Wii U launched. Mm. Now, that's not to say they were already going, you know, we've got a timeline. But it was a case of what do we want to produce? It wasn't about producing a successor. It was about producing something new. What kind of new experience can we create? And the Switch definitely did that in fact so did the Wii so did the Wii mm. U so did the Gamecube it had a handle you could lift it places <laughs> you say it as a joke but arguably the Gamecube is one of the most portable under television consoles out there it's literally pick up and go it's small it's compatible you went to actually go and lift it up then didn't you you yeah, went did. to go and it's grab right it here. <laughs> But you think about it, you can fit a GameCube, a handful of games, four controllers and the cables you need in a backpack. You mm-hmm. can't do that with a PS2. You sure as shit couldn't do it with an original PS3. You need a trolley for that thing. <laughs> but it does mean that they were already well into the development cycle for the Switch at this point, And added pressure was given to them when the Wii U kind of tanked. It makes me sad that the Wii U tanked as much as it did. I mm. think there was, there was some missed and wasted opportunities there because also, arguably, the Wii U is the only hardware platform we've got until this point which could actually successfully run a virtual console for the DS and 3DS. I was working at HMV when the Wii U was launched and we
2: had people coming in to buy Wii U games for their Wii. They would then bring them back and go, didn't work or well, no. It's not for this console. There's always been part of me that thinks that the marketing and the decision to call it a Wii U was the reason. And I think there was a bit of confusion with that with the Xbox Series S and X. I think that people. Oh, yeah. I think that people didn't quite get that
0: it was actually a new console. They thought it was an upgrade. Console naming and also differentiating between models is a very, very complicated subject. And arguably, I think. Xbox, Xbox 360, that's fine. Xbox One, Mm. okay. (laughs) Xbox One X, what? And the stupid thing is, if they hadn't done that, I think just going from the Xbox One to the Xbox Series X Mm -hmm. would have been fine. But it's because they did the Xbox One X, it really muddied the waters. Mm -hmm. With the Wii U, the other thing that I think they made the mistake is if you take away the controller screen... You know, brick that you can kill a seal with. And you look at just the console, it just looks like a black Wii. Yeah. There is not enough to differentiate it hardware-wise. And a number of the same accessories worked as well. Uh-huh. I still don't own a Wii U. I'm sure I will at some point, but most of the games I'd want to play on it have actually been ported to other platforms. Yeah. And it just looks like a proper fat. The other thing is is
2: that the screen on the 3DS, I think, was actually better than the screen resolution and how the screen looked on a Wii U. So then you're looking at it going, well, what's the the massive draw for me to go for that? And I don't think it had good titles. You know, it had Zombie U. Zombie U was the title that made me go, oh, this looks quite fun. Say, um, and that was always the one that I kept going back to. But you know, you had the Toadette game, I can't remember the full title, apologies. That was a huge game, but lots of these games now have come across the Switch because you think in the 2000s you could consider the GameCube a flop because how it sold against the PlayStation 2, and that is stupid Nintendo going choosing the wrong format again because playstation 2 the reason why it sold buckets is one reason one reason alone and that is it's a dvd player as well and that's where so many people went in for the playstation 2 over the gamecube and you saw that in this generation as well
0: nintendo took risks they're still taking risks we are within a calendar year certainly of switch 2 slash new nintendo switch slash switch xl slash Switch U slash Bobby Mario's Dazzle Machine. Put your bang on. Is it going to happen again? (laughs) I think that they are actually at a point where they could call it the new Nintendo Switch. And as long as backwards compatibility was possible. And I think if Nintendo launches successor to the Switch and there isn't backwards compatibility, it it will kill them. Yeah. Because not only the physical releases, but they've done such a good job of making the Switch a digital marketplace. If people can't carry those games over, woof. I mean,
2: the amount of companies that have come out in recent years, and like the Star Wars one where it had Pod Racer, it had, um, so Episode 1 Racer, it had Republic Commando, it had both uh, Jedi Academy games on there. They've done so many of these, like, the, the original Doom game. They re-released the original Doom game. I just think it will just be such a missed opportunity because, as Rab said on the re- uh, on the
0: reboot, it is the perfect console. <laughs> it is and it isn't, but that's, that's a separate discussion and maybe we'll touch on it when we get to talking about handheld gaming later because I have my own thoughts. Anyway, that's enough talking about the foibles of Nintendo, but we're at the point where literally the day before this aired, The new Nintendo 3DS had launched. So Dan gives us a lowdown on what's coming up on this week's Video Game Nation, and immediately there's a Pink Floyd reference, and old fart (laughs) that I am, I'm here for it. Also, it's John Robertson, and he's wearing a hat, and talking about time travel games. He makes the joke later about being the Doctor, but which one? And I automatically
2: thought of you and went, I can see why Ash has chosen this episode.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe I can ask him which doctor he's dressing up Because, in case you missed the announcement We will be talking with John Robertson For our first What do we do in a five week month (laughs) episode Which just so happens to coincide With a leap year 29th of February Which in a way is time travel too Because what does that day think it's doing?
2: So that means the first year anniversary Of you uh, interviewing John Will be in four years time (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, the, the the first year anniversary of me interviewing John will be a year from tomorrow, because I'm interviewing him tomorrow. No, because... No, the- for the listeners, it doesn't work like this. It's February at the moment, not the 17th of January. <laughs> Mate, this is the hooter nanny. It's not going out live, it's being recorded <laughs> some time in advance. Sharp, it took me years to realise that that was pre recorded. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. But in addition to John Robertson talking about time travel games, we've got Dan and Eva talking about the new Nintendo 3DS XL. That's both the newly released and the titled new 3DS XL, as opposed to the old 3DS XL, which when it came out was just new. And this is the 3DS that I actually have. It isn't the one I have, which caused a little bit of a confusion.
2: Pull the curtain back a bit, that I had to message uh, Ash and go, why's mine not got a nub in? And he went... You do know there was a d- new, newer version of the Excel that came out? I was like,
0: no. <laughs> that little rant I just went on was written after that conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> Sat there going, for fuck's sake Clifford. <laughs> and on top of that, the Video Game Nation Talking Head Brigade extols the virtues of handheld gaming. But we
2: start off with a game very close and dear to my heart. Majora's Mask
3: towards the end of the 1990s the world was in the grip of millennium bug fever if the scaremongers were to be believed any computer software that abbreviated a year to its final two digits would interpret the upcoming year 2000 as the year 1900 causing a tear in the space-time continuum that would render past present and future as one and the same effectively plunging the universe into a state of total Come on, who's been using Wikipedia? Come on.
0: With the beautiful title card that is evocative of the title cards you actually get in the game, Dan starts us off with talk of the millennium. I remember the millennium, Cliff. I didn't have any grey hair on my beard. I also didn't have a beard. (laughs) I did, however, have a clinical awareness of the millennium bug because I was already working in IT, and the various theories that sprung up around it you know the one where computers wouldn't be able to cope with the year 2000 and it sent us back to 1900 ripping apart the space-time continuum and plunge us into well dan says this is because someone's been using wikipedia (laughs) but to me this feels like twitter in 2024 as to say it's all doom and gloom it must be twitter in 2014 but dan then plays his funky ocarina
3: 2000 as the year 19- uh thanks uh, me uh would interpret the year 2000 as the year 1900 potentially throwing the world into total disarray as the millennium commenced nuclear power stations would go into meltdown planes would fall from the sky toasters would still work but you get the idea this was proper end of civilization as we know it's stuff
2: all these clips really annoy me because they don't play the full bloody song. Like, it comes up in three times of this, and they don't play the full song of the ocarina.
0: Mate, it's only a 24-minute show. I don't care. Play the full song. <laughs> but it works well enough because the clock rewinds, and now we're back at dawn of the second series again. 28.5 minutes remaining, and Dan has a new script handed to him by Future Dan, and we then get a more accurate set of fears from the Millennium. Power station safety features failing, planes dropping from the sky, toasters toasting. Mostly what people got out of the Millennium was hangovers, apart from in Australia where some people couldn't buy bus tickets. But what else did we get instead? We got Majora's Mask, a Zelda game that wears the mood of the era on its short green sleeves. And I think that is an amazing description because Majora's Mask is perfectly framed when you look at one, its production cycle, and two, the time it came about and the influences of society around it. Dan then gives us a quick rundown of the plot, which picks up shortly after the end of Ocarina of Tim. Tim? There are some who call me... Tim. Time. It might have been Tim's Ocarina. We don't know. But basically, getting a spooky mask causes the moon to desire to bump uglies with the world, ending life as we know it. And Link has just 72 hours to save mankind, possibly with an Aerosmith soundtrack and animal cracker sex with Liv Tyler. You
3: know
1: what I was thinking? What?
3: No.
4: Way down. On.
0: I may have mixed up my notes on this episode with my notes on Armageddon. Now in addition to the ocarina motif which sticks with us throughout this game and throughout this episode we've already seen some footage of this new version of Majora's Mask 3D basically the intro this intro really feels like it goes on for an age not the TV show but just that intro to Majora's Mask mm. it it's just it, it's very nice and particularly on the 3DS it's very pretty mm-hmm. but it is a case of do, do we need to spend so much time just panning around i get it it's a town I know what a town in Zelda looks like. We've been here before. Well,
2: I do like it. because I. So going back, we'll we'll go into the original Majora's Mask and the production and how it was made uh, in our UCP focus later on in two weeks' time. If you're listening to this in real time, two weeks' time, you get to go and listen to that. But when I first got this game, it was six o'clock in the morning. It was put with my sort of bedroom presents because we never got the big presents all together on Christmas morning. We uh, got the bedroom presents and these were the ones to shut us up. So it was the ones that we won't be bothering my mother who's got to go run a workman's club and get it open. Go, Can we open our presents? So that intro like the rum of the mask as it spins around and I remember that I got Majora's Mask 3D with my 3DS and I literally remember switching on going better have that intro i want to be hit by the nostalgias and it did but i liked that walk through the town because it sort of identifies the differences that you've got between the two games so majora's mask 3d released in north america and europe a day before this episode came out on the 13th of february 2015 and it is released on the same day this Lovely episode goes out in Japan on the 14th of February, 2015. Published by Nintendo, but developed by a company called Grezzo. Now, Grezzo, coming from the name Diamante Grezzo, which means diamonds in the rough in Italian. Basically, it is a development company founded by Kyochi Ishii, former designer at Square. So he's actually come over from Square. He actually um, directed loads of games in 1987. Uh, he, he's, he started with them, but absolutely pivotal to the Mana series, which is absolutely huge in Japan. I know there's lots of people that love it in the West as well. And he also contributed a lot to the Final Fantasy games. But they were also fundamental in uh, the development of Final Fantasy XI, ocarina of time 3d which only came out a, a four years prior to this uh, four swords which is a great little game for the 3ds as well triforce heroes and a game that i was obsessed with the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024 and that's Link's awakening the switch remake and that is such a good game
0: And you mentioned that obviously they did Ocarina of Time 3D, which was for the new Nintendo 3DS. And by that, I mean the Nintendo 3DS at the time it came out, which was relatively new because it only came out in 2011 itself. They started work on Majora's Mask 3D just as they wrapped up Ocarina of Time. So Mm -hmm. they had been working on this for years Which is really funny when you think about the development cycle of Majora's Mask in general, (laughs) which we will cover in a couple of weeks' time. It's funny because the creator
2: of Majora's Mask, the original one, uh, Iji Enuma, who created so many of the temples in the original Ocarina of Time, he was the one that was only given the year's deadline. Yet this time around, he's been given four years. That's three bloody more years than what he had before. And the thing was, was, obviously... Anuma, creating that original game, what he did was before he went into this development cycle, he actually played Majora's Mask from start to finish. And in that, he created what was known as the What in the World list. And what the What in the World list was, was it was a list of things that made no sense and alienated a lot of the uh, buying public. So what he did was he actually went through it and with the health of Grezo as well, just sort of fine tune a game that only had a year's development cycle. Because when you've been given a big team, which we'll go into as well on the focus, a big team and four years to develop this. Guess what? You can you can troubleshoot the game and you can figure out what works and you can figure out what really frustrates people (laughs) you know because he had other bits and pieces to do at the time he was helping develop a link between worlds at the same time whilst making this game but it worked and I think that even with the launch of the 3ds XL new not the new one that came out for Ocarina of Time, but this new one, 2015, 2015 was we'll, 2015. We we'll call it the 3DS XL 2015, 2014, uh, I mean, 2014. Oh my god! Ah, <laughs> time. <laughs>
1: What year is it? There's
2: a theme to this bloody episode, but I think that really sort of made it they knew that this new hardware was coming out. They could really lean into what made this new hardware great, but make it a great experience for everybody with a 3DS. I mean it's it's funny when you give people time
0: to develop a game what they do, isn't it? And I love that you mentioned a link between worlds because There were some things that they were doing for Majora's Mask 3D that influenced A Link Between Worlds. And there were some things they were doing for A Link Between Worlds that was influencing Majora's Mask 3D. So those two titles, despite one being a remake of a Nintendo 64 title and the other being a sequel to my favourite Zelda game, which is A Link to the Past they grew up together there's an argument that link to
2: the past and ocarina of time are the pinnacle some weird people say breath of the wild but who are they um but you could say that those two are the pinnacle these are both sequels and fair enough majora's mask was a sequel that had already come out many years before back in 2000 and link between worlds had only just coming out but at the same time This was the first time Majora's Mask had time to breathe and I think it's such a nice thing that they both came out roughly around the same time because I love both of them. I've got both of them and I love playing both of them. They are brilliant Zelda games but the public also loved it and the reviewers loved it as well. It scored 89 on the Metacritic score so taking out all of those reviews, it scores out out to eighty nine. Fair enough, it's not as high as the original. So the original Majora's Mask scored ninety five. I think that's off the back of Ocarina of Time, the high of Ocarina of Time, which is the highest scoring Metacritic game of all time. But as I said, alluded to earlier, it sold three point four four million copies. That is almost a hundred thousand more copies than what it sold on the N64 because the N64 sold only for, oh I say only 3.36 million. But that's huge for handheld gaming, that is a huge number. No, it's not Tetris numbers, but for a console that in a year's time will be outdated, that is phenomenal.
3: Majora's Mask is a remarkable, unique entry in the Zelda canon, not least because most of the key elements that characterise the series, Ganon, the Triforce, the Master Sword, and even Zelda herself, are all absent. It's also by far the darkest
0: and the weirdest of Link's exploits. Is it all right to call this game Zelda when Zelda isn't in it? <laughs> I don't know, because Zelda isn't in um, uh, Link's Awakening. So, so, bleh. <laughs> is it okay to call Link's Awakening? Well, that's actually here's the point. It is called The Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. Yeah. There's a whole generation of people out there that think Link's called Zelda anyway. <laughs> but as as but as is pointed out, this game is missing Ganon, it's missing Triforce, it's missing the Master Sword, and it's missing the titular princess. <laughs> tit. <laughs> But what we're not missing
2: is every character model from Ocarina of Time because they found their way
0: over because, guess what? They only had a year. We'll do that another time. We'll do it another time. And as we've said, and Dan reiterates here, this is a weird game. Mm. Like, this is probably the weirdest Zelda game, even taking into account the games that came afterwards. This is basically Hideo Kojima's Zelda. This is the bonkers one. And to highlight that, we then get some talking heads taking us through some of their weirdest bits of the game.
5: The weirdest thing in Majora's Mask is, without a doubt, Kamaro. He's this kind of sickly, anemic uh, dancer. And by wearing his mask, you end up uh, learning his dance and teaching it to the masses. But The weirdest thing has to be the massive, gurning moon just crashing his face into into Earth is pretty weird
6: i think the weirdest thing majora's mask has got to be tingle right i mean he's like a little man in like a full like unitard and he's yeah he thinks he's a fairy
2: (laughs) what's your weirdest bit of the game because mine has to be the grown-ass woman marrying the child that bit i was like okay i sort of get the sentiment towards this but it's still very weird and not only that the couple's mask is such a to get i ate that bloody mask
5: well hmm,
0: i mean my weirdest moment is one of the ones brought up here twice in fact because emily gearer from polygon highlights camaro basically golem if he was on strictly and his whole dance and the mask which again will also be brought up a bit later lydia ellery from squid gaming addresses the elephant in the room and by the elephant I mean the moon (laughs) the moon with its weird moon face Steve Hoggarty also addresses the moon in a very Seinfeld way of like what's the deal with that moon can I just say this because we
2: will go into a lot of the 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 theory of why Zelda Majora's Mask is so weird but have you noticed what that face is terrifying it's the face of ganondorf after you defeat him so when he goes off into the sages keep him in that parallel world Mm. that is the face that they give ganondorf
0: that is his face is that deliberate or is that asset recycling it's asset recycling (laughs) it is asset recycling But all I could think is, is just the other week, we did a pretty exhausting and exhaustive podcast on Bonk, a.k.a. PC Genjin, which also featured Cliff, a low-hanging moon. (laughs) To quote Steve Hogarty, quoting Jerry Seinfeld, what is it with Japan and low-hanging moons?
2: (laughs) I was going to say, at least they don't beam up to this one, but oh no wait they do but you
0: do beam up to it at the end (laughs) Steve McNeil of Go8Bit says the hand that pops out of the toilet at midnight anything that pops out of a toilet at midnight or otherwise is definitely up there in weirdness Mm -hmm. and Chris Bond of Jinx TV goes to where I'd have been tempted to go and where many of us would go and that's Tingle but before we talk more on Tingle I will say my weirdest moment is actually that moon face I know it's weird because, as you pointed out, there's some of the masks. There's the old woman marrying the boy. There's Strictly Come Ghosting. There's Becoming Postman Pat, which is also mentioned later. But it is just that moon and the fact it's constantly descending. Whilst you are doing relatively trivial side quests, it's still, cool, I've just delivered this parcel. Turn around, oh yeah, the moon's going to kill everything. (laughs) Oh, well. I should go find a chicken. But Tingle, of all the characters of a Zelda series to get their own side life, Tingle. A 30-year-old
2: man that lives with his father still, that dresses up as a fairy... To be honest, he's like us really, isn't he? He just hasn't ever grown up.
0: No, he hasn't, but also... Tingle as a character is kind of homophobic. It There's is. no, in fact, no, he's not kind of homophobic. He is mm-hmm. homophobic. He is playing up on some stereotypes. And if you may want to argue that point on this game, go and look at some of his spin off games. Yeah. At least one of them didn't make it out of Japan specifically because of how bad the stereotypes were. Mm hmm. But he did have a number of spin-off games. Um, freshly picked Tingle's rosy Rupee Land.
2: <laughs> Some of those Japanese games are odd. He also appears in other Zelda titles as well, so... He appears in Minish Cap. He appears uh, in um, Four Swords. Wind Waker. Yep, he appears in Wind Waker as well. Multiple forms of him in Wind Waker. Uh, Literally, there's multiple tingles. Um, So, but I think that him as a character is a weird one because before this, we like there's no. It's not like it's developed into Tingle. Before this, there was no Tingle. Then you go to the north of the uh, clock town, and there is a tingle. That is literally that moment of, what, what is, what, who is this? It did make me laugh when he said, like, I know some magic. Ooh, bah! And that used to always make me smile, because when it was, but in a nice way, not in a patronizing, not in a anything else way, but a nice way. But it's just tingle is tingle, and as you said, It's hard to say nice things about Tingle when Tingle is there really as a massive stereotype. Yeah, A
0: lot of the games that Tingle appeared in are very light, silly, in relative poor taste. Multiple balloon fights. See, I love Balloon Fight as a game title or Balloon Kid as it was on the Game Boy with the side-scrolling one. But Nintendo licensed Tingle as a character and there was going to be a Tingle horror game. Like, Tingle is the main character in a horror game. There are virtually no details on it other than it was being developed in collaboration with Vanpool. And, yeah, Tingle in a horror game, but not as the antagonist, as the protagonist. Just Luigi's Mansion with Tingle. Yeah, that would have been fine. Hmm. I wouldn't mind us uh, seeing a different take on Tingle now. Maybe one... Doesn't if, if it does contain any stereotypes they're used positively rather than negatively mm-hmm. but anyway tingle is held up as one of the weirdest things in this game and they're not wrong but still i would go with the moon dan points out that 15 years have passed and this remake makes it clear that fans haven't been looking at this game through rose-tinted rupees and then he goes on to discuss some of the core game mechanics basically being that whilst this game is relatively small with only four dungeons. It's a Groundhog Day situation where you live the same period of time over and over uh, using your trusty nose flute, and the focus is on getting all the side quests together. Clocktown is full of people with bucket lists to fulfil, and the moon is low and threatening to squash those buckets. And the lists. And the people holding the buckets. And all lists.
3: The hub area of Clocktown is filled with residents who, understandably, would like to make amends or fulfil a dream before their lives are brought to a fiery end. Each of them goes through a daily routine, which Link can keep track of in his handy bomber's
0: notebook until he's able to get everything just right. So Link has a notebook that he can note down what everyone's wishes are, what their schedules are, what they're doing, when and where. Mm-hmm. And that notebook survives the time resets yep. until he can get everything just right. And my immediate thought when re-watching this and hearing it explained like that is, did Majora's Mask inspire Deathloop? And I went back and I looked at some of the news articles that came out when Deathloop was announced and when it was released and people started to play it. And the amount of times that Majora's Mask was referenced oh, of going, really? Oh, it's Majora's Mask meets Dishonored and they're not wrong. Nope. But the book, along with the hearts you gain and the masks, they survive the time resets, perishables and supplies. They don't. We briefly meet the happy mask salesman, and that's when we get into talking about favourite masks. Mm. My favourite mask is probably the postman's hat. I think think the postman's
2: hat perfectly sums up the tortured logic in a Zelda game, because for some reason you've got the moons hurtling towards Termina, uh, and rather than try to do anything about that, you just... Help the postman deliver letters so you can borrow his hat.
5: Yeah. My my favourite characters in the Zelda universe are the Gorons. I love them, they're just so round and lovable, and they have the best theme tune ever. So for me it has to be the Goron mask because becoming one of them is like it's a dream come true. Tamara's mask is easily the 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 top taker in this one. It's the most accidentally gross thing in a video game I think I've ever encountered.
0: Because there are 24 masks in total and we go through our talking heads, very briefly put in there, Steve's favourite is the postman's hat because what everyone needs with three days to live is for Postman Pat to deliver letters to Mrs Goggins. Lydia loves the Goron mask because becoming a Goron is a dream come true for her. Erin Lee goes back to the well with the Camaro mask, which does look like a shrunken penis man sticking out of Link's head. And so on. Have you actually seen it? It's quite horrific. That oh little yeah, it's, it's is a little like, bit human centipede. Yeah, it's like oh, is that human skin over your face? Human centipede. <laughs> For God's sake, Cliff, you've played this game multiple times. Mm-hmm. What is your favourite mask? I think it has to be the four masks that change you
2: because with Ocarina of Time, I think the big thing was was you get into Adult Link and then being able to change. You changed and everything when this was zelda gaiden and it was um being promoted in the magazines all it was sort of centered around was these changes these physical changes that you could have when you're the deku scrub you're the goron or if you're the zora my favorite out of them is the zora because it is so ruddy fun to go swimming as a zora and almost do that dolphin jump out of the water and it's it's so much fun it's one of those masks but I think at the regular everyday masks that you have the bunny hood is the obvious one that it helps you out in the game that it makes you run faster well if you're in a game that you've only got three days to complete the flipping levels in even with the song of time the inverted song of time that's going to slow down time you need to make sure you're getting from A to B as quickly as possible and the only way to do that without the song of soaring is the bunny hood so the bunny hood is vital. But actually, do you know what the other one is that has a consent? is the Great Fairy Mask. Because the Great Fairy Mask, if you haven't got that in the dungeons, it is a pain in the ass to find out where all these little bloody fairies are. Because you need all the little fairies, because if not, your magic is pants and you don't unlock anything. So, yeah, I think those are my two favourite, the basic masks.
0: See, I'm with Lidio. I'm much more base. I just like the Goron mask because... Who doesn't want to be a Goron? I want to go off on a little tangent and a little mode about this. They live on
2: a big mountain. Mountains are made of rock, yet, the, the King Dodongo takes their cavern where their rocks are kept, but they can't eat any of the other rocks. They're all dying. Why? Because they want them rocks. They don't want them. No, no, Gorons. No, Zoras is where it's at. Because I like Zoras in that way of that. In this timeline of uh, Zelda, they're lovely. They're lovely. They're Oh, look at that. Yeah, in Link's Awakening timeline. Oh, no. They're the things that stick their head out of the water and spit at you. They're called Zor. They're the Zoras <laughs> in that timeline. So I love it how one timeline, they're like this majestic and quite elvish race and then in the other one now nah, they're the
0: baddies <laughs> Aww, thank you very much oh elvish sorry <laughs> god's sake hashtag great joke i can do it as well
3: Despite a slightly frustrating opening that traps Link in Deku scrub form for a full three days, Majora's Mask rapidly blossoms into something that's at once melancholy, crazy, funny, inventive and special.
0: Dan does highlight the somewhat odd start where you basically spend the first three day cycle trapped as a Deku. It is, if you make it past that segment, you're, in, you're locked into the game, mm. but it does start you off in a very odd way. I can see why
2: people would drop out of that game. Thank God the cartridge used to be 60 quid for the N64 one. Because you've spent 60 quid on it, you make sure you stick out that Deku, Deku
0: scrub bit. But then we get to talking about the 3DS version, not just being kind of nicer graphics, not just being, ooh, a 3D gimmick. Mm-hmm. Something that you already touched upon is they did iron out some of the wrinkles, Mm -hmm. the original has. Some of the kinks. Now, I think the big one is the save system. Yes,
2: no, that is huge, because what used to be was that you had to use the Song of Time to either go back, or once you get a sword, you can hit the statues, the uh, owl statues. Once you hit them, you activate them, and that is a point where you could go to with the Song of Soaring, but you can also save. But it would make it that if you use that save point it would stop the game if you then went back into the game you would lose your save point so that was huge even in that deku scrub bit that you can access the save system then so you're like oh especially with that bomber kid bit you know there's all sorts of nightmare if you forget that bloody bomber ki- bomber code <laughs> you have to go... If you can't search online, if you don't
0: remember that bomber code, it doesn't go into your... But you haven't got your bomber's notebook at that point. What about other changes beyond the safe system? Because I think... I I believe, because you'd already told me, you got a bit of a list. I have. Well, one of the things that is a bit of a chore when you are the
2: Deku Scrub is you have to go and find all the bomber kids. So you do that. They give you their code. You can go off to the observatory. In the original... When you'll then go back as normal, Link, you have to go and do it again to to get the notepad. So to get the notebook, you have to then go and find all the ruddy kids again. (laughs) So you have to repeat exactly what you've just done as the Deku Scrub all over again to get that notepad. In the 3DS version, the Mars Salesman goes, here, have this. Also, in that little segment as well where the Mars Salesman is in the clock tower, you've also got... A little compartment that you can crawl into, which is one huge gossip stone from the Ocarina of Time. So you can crawl into that. So that means that if you don't know where you're gonna go, it gives you hints and tips of where you need to be. Obviously, at that point, there were some location differences. There's some little ones as we go around, like the location of the bank. You usually find it in the little uh, walkway uh, up in the in the west of the city. Then we've got... So the bo- the bank is actually uh, located around the back of the clock tower. We've got bosses. I would say this is the biggest one. That they've actually adapted to each of the bosses. That they've actually changed them up a bit. Which I remember playing this game back going... Oh, hang on. I haven't got muscle memory of this. Because some of them have different phases. So you've got Odolwa. Who is the first um, boss in the um, Woodfall Temple. Now what you used to do... Literally in the N64 version, you should just hack and hack and slash his legs. Literally hack and slash his legs, and then put up your shield whenever he does a little spiral attack. Yet yeah, in this one, it actually makes it so you have to use the Deku Scrub to fly over him to hit him with Deku Nuts. Um, also, the in the Great Bay Temple the boss there that has two phases the first phase is how you would battle him in the uh original game the second phase actually sends you underwater to actually battle him with the zora mask and then you've got twin molds which is in the stone tower temple with the last one where you use the giant's mask like you did and the uh light arrows like you did in the uh, original however this also gives you a mode where you have to you have to shoot it with the arrows at certain points and it just changes it up a bit so that is pretty much there's the changes that you've got to the game itself and you have got as i said yes you said the, the graphically it looks you know a lot more crisper but there's certain things that are a bit closer there's certain things that are less hard it's had that quality of life improvements that you can pick up that game
0: and complete it a lot quicker than you would have completed the original and part of that is probably because this is a handheld system Mm. and you've got battery life to take into consideration but also fatigue from playing a handheld for a long time because a handheld console is heavier than a controller that's Mm -hmm. all there is to it the screen's smaller so you're focusing more so the eye strain is higher, particularly if you do insist on playing the entire thing with the 3d mode enabled which if you're playing it on the new 3ds is a worthwhile thing because the new 3ds as they talk about a bit later, really, really polishes up that 3D technology from the original 3DS release. God bless those gyro sensors. We get to the end of this, and once they've covered the changes, they've covered the plot, they've covered the gameplay, Dan states that this makes it the definitive version of the most underrated Zelda game ever. Now, Cliff, do you agree that this is the most underrated Zelda game ever? Correct. And do you agree that this is the definitive version of that game?
2: um I I would say that there's a couple games that came out for the 3ds, which I'm sure we'll talk about in depth at some point. Star Fox 64, the version that came out for the 3ds, beautiful. It's crisp. It's clean. It's it's a beautiful game. The Ocarina of Time that came out before this, beautiful. It's crisp. It's clean. It's it's sexy. It's it's lovely. But for me, my core memory is always with that original. So I don't think it's the I, I don't know. I prefer there being that hardness to it that I can't just save at any point. I I have to make sure that I'm at a point where I either go up to a statue and if I'm gonna get back in that game, I've got to sink those hours in. Or that I start that I make sure that I've got everything at the end of my day before I reset in the bank the money's in the bank things on those lines I think and and also th- that element of that yeah we had guides at the time but when I completed this I would just google couples mask <coughs> and I would bring up how to complete the couples mask mm. I remember completing that for the first time I had no guide I had no internet using that bomber's notebook I completed it so no I would always go back to the N64
0: ones for me, I started playing the Nintendo 64 version via Switch Online, but with the Nintendo 64 controller for the Switch. So I was still getting that original kind of control system. And I started playing the 3DS version. Now, I've got another weekend coming up where I'm just be spending some time travelling. And I want to play more of this game before we talk about it for the Focus episode. I think... That the 3ds is going to be the one coming with me because particularly because i'm kind of playing it on a deadline and also on the go so i wouldn't have the option of having the nintendo 64 controller to play on a train well i could i'd look a bit weird i think i'm just going to go with the 3ds one because those quality of life improvements it does make that bit of a difference particularly when you're kind of replaying a game on a deadline but it, it makes me sad because, and we've kind of touched on this earlier, other than picking up a 3DS and now picking up a physical copy of the game, you can't just get this on the Switch. If you want to play it on the Switch, you've got to play the Nintendo 64 version via the Switch online. And if you don't have the Nintendo 64 controller that they've made available for the Switch, you're playing it with adapted controls. And um, bless them, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I still don't think it works. No. That was why as soon as those Nintendo 64 controllers became available again, I'm like, I'm having two of those. Good luck to anybody playing Gold tonight. But moving on from Zelda, Dan, in addition to an ocarina that he can kind of play, or at least pretend to... Play the full song! (laughs) He has his own Bomber's Notebook. I wonder what's coming up.
3: Hmm, so according to my Bomber's Notebook, John Robertson should be talking about his top five time travel games right about... Now. Hello, television
4: friend. Hi, Def. Hi-fi. With Majora's Mask being the Groundhog Day of the Legend of Zelda series, which loves a wonky timeline as much as its hero loves green tights and mutinous, let's revert the DeLorean to 88 miles per hour, slingshot round the sun, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and play some games that know time doesn't just fly when you're having fun. It does whatever it damn well wants to.
0: So John immediately throws out more time travel references than you can shake a broken dematerialization circuit at, and we're off to the races with a man who dresses like all of the doctors and none of them at the same time. <laughs> we see some Spidey games, also one of my favourites, Turtles in Time, and John tells us that we're going to count down the five favourite games that don't just use the gimmick as window dressing, they trap you in a twisted temporal puzzle box. I love a time travel mechanic, I'm very excited for this list, and I agree almost all of it i was gonna say
2: there's one series that i thought you were gonna bring up and maybe bit get a bit like it's not in there time splitters because there's one game in this list i've heard or played all of these games apart from one i have no idea what that was um but i thought i thought i thought ash is not gonna be happy time
0: splitters isn't here do you know there are some things that i thought oh i can't believe that's not in there then i remembered it wasn't out yet (laughs) time travel (laughs) i mean time splitters future perfect not being in there Mm. does bother me time splitters one and two less so future perfect is the one where time travel is really because time a future perfect is the one that has the proper story Mm -hmm. time splitters one sorry guys it doesn't time split is two it kind of does but future perfect is the one where it's time to split so been with the agency long
2: uh
1: yeah Uh, Hmm. three three years in may Uh,
6: you get dental
1: yeah yeah
6: that's good
5: Mm. (laughs)
6: yeah time to split
5: I'll get the next one. However,
0: this is John's list. Maybe I'll pick a fight with him about this tomorrow.
4: (laughs) John! What do we got at number five? Released in 1993 for DOS and Mac, Day of the Tentacle will make you giggle, then give your brain a workout that spans centuries. An item doesn't work in the past, but if you leave it in one place a few hundred years, will it age into the solution to a problem in the future? Stuck in an alternate apocalypse? I'm sure the founding fathers at the American Declaration of Independence can help
2: with that. I'm shocked this wasn't higher. Yeah, when they said it's time travel, I thought, well, Day of the Tentacle's at least a number, number three pick, isn't it? Or even a number two. I think it's so. It's so important to, especially click and uh, point and click games. I think you know Lucas. Lucas were the kings of that of the nineties. This is the sequel to Maniac Mansion. Obviously, a huge game that we both love. There's a huge level in that. Uh, zombie a- uh, zombies ate my neighbors. You know. Yeah. So I think. I think it means so much to me this game like this was one of my I, I never used to get far in this game when I was a kid never used to get far at all but it was so important to me when I was little I mean it's 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 huge it's such a, like it was interesting as well you know placing things everywhere I think this needs to be higher this in
0: my opinion although at the point that this episode was made we were a year away from Double Fine Productions' Day of the Tentacled Remastered, which of came course. out in March of 2016, mm. and that was out for Max PlayStation 4 and Vita, mm-hmm. uh, Windows, iOS, even Linux got an official port and then later came out for the Xbox, and you can still play it on the Xbox today. Oh, I, you know what I'm going to do after this, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would say that whether you decide to play it, in its original form via scum vm or the double fine remaster this is a great game to play it's only the second lucas and click game but it's still a very very high bar for them the humor is great the style is great you can see the influence and inspiration of chuck jones john mentions ron gilbert and tim Schafer, who like they would go on to become gaming legends Mm -hmm. like two years after this game originally came out like this was them immediately going from here to upper echelons monkey
2: island is only like a year away from this it it sort of took that whole genre into a completely
0: new world but despite this being a time travel episode with time being a loop we still have a limited runtime john what have you got at number four
4: you wake up and it's time for work. Where do you live? Oh, a strangely peaceful hypermodern metropolis floating above the sky, of course. How do you get to work? Oh, a transporter that can also take you to the Hard Rock Cafe, as it does. What happens if you don't go to work? Oh, the entire universe ends. You know, like always.
0: In at number four, it's the Journeyman Project Turbo.
2: I have never heard of this game. Ever. I don't... Have... Do you know of it?
0: I know of the series. Okay. Um, I don't think I've played this version. I might have played the redesign version.
2: I think this is the redesign version, isn't it?
0: No, no. That, that's where it gets... I mean, there's a lot about it. this. is confusing. It's oh, a time travel game. This is going back to the 3DS bloody XL 2014 again, isn't it? <laughs> so it's a first-person perspective game. I want to say there's an element of mist to this. Maybe that's just because that's what's sticking in my head. But this game was completed in 1992. It was released in early 1993, spent two years in development. It wowed the gaming press much in the way Mist did with the high-quality rendered graphics, artwork, the audio. It was then re-released in 1994, as journeyman project turbo so basically it reduced the loading times improved the animation quality and performance basically just used compression that had appeared during their original development cycle now there were two sequels buried in time and legacy of time they were released following on from that a fourth game was in the design stage before the studio closed in 2002 and was eventually shelved in favor of working on mist 3 exile Now, what you're thinking of is Pegasus Prime, which was released for the Power Mac and was originally planned to be released on multiple platforms. Those plans were cancelled, but in April 2014, the game did eventually escape for the Windows platform on GOG.com. And I think that is the one that I've heard of and seen the most of, because I remember that appearing on good old games. The game was self-published. It did sell very well, but... It retailed for $90. Whoa! That's like, that. you could buy a bloody Mega Drive for that at the time. It sold about 150,000 copies of that, so clearly, you know, people had some money to spend on it. Reviews were favourable, though. Computer Gaming World said, visually stunning. The world is believably fantastic. It stated the game was tough as they come and recommended built-in hints, but concluded it is all the more rewarding after puzzling past each conundrum so let's see if we're shocked by number
4: three, shall we? Finally, a game released this decade, back up in a sky city but set in 1912 with shotguns and steampunks. Join former Pinkerton agent Booker DeWitt and the mysterious Elizabeth, who's basically Doctor Who and the TARDIS as one person, in Columbia, a city held up by blimps and get ready for a tale of tears, tears, prophecy, prophets, corsets, class warfare, guns, 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 oh, and huge great rips in the fabric of space and time. Oh
0: yeah, Bioshock Infinite. As John says, finally a game released this decade, but what a game to include. Again, this is a game I would expect to see in here, and I think this is about where I'd put it Mm -hmm. in there, because Bioshock Infinite. I have had a love-love relationship with the Bioshock series. I started with the first Bioshock on PC. Bioshock Infinite is the only one that I think about replaying frequently, because as much as I love the underwater murky environments of the first couple of Bioshocks, There is something about the style, the animation, the setting, the music, the moral questions, the societal Mm. riffs on Bioshock Infinite that just lives rent-free in my head. It's such a political game. Now, I've
2: never played it. I blame having a child in 2013 and being made redundant by HMV and flapping of what I'm going to do for a living. Um, But I never played it. And I was saying to you, it's one of those games that i constantly go i need to i need to set some time to that because the political stance of it the sort of as he was saying your sort of side quest character i know there's twists there's turns there's oh so many oh my god like i uh, that is and it's beautiful it looks like you know the sky metropolis and the whole uh the whole
0: steampunk feel to it oh it's just it looks beautiful this is a 2013 game so it's already getting towards two years old at time of this episode of video game nation being broadcast but now here we are in 2024 Mm. you can still get it as part of the bioshock collection for the nintendo switch also ps4 and xbox which means you can play it on either the ps5 ps4 ps5 xbox or xbox series x or just yeah pick it up on the switch also you've obviously got steam and pc and whatnot But it still looks great. It still plays great. It still sounds great. And I haven't played it since the PS4, Mm. I think. And enough time has passed that I do now want to go back and play it because I've forgotten a lot of the big plot twists and plot points. Like, there's a few big spoiler points still stuck in my head, but a lot of the smaller ones i've forgotten Mm. i love leaving replaying games long enough that i can't remember what's going to happen i'm still playing the second playthrough of alan wake 2 downstairs and that's only been two months and we're getting to bits and i'm going was that in the first playthrough or is that something new they've added for the new game plus i I can't remember (laughs) it's weird but there's some games we hit and we talk about and they're so old or they're so obscure that we can really deep dive into the making of obviously this is just here as part of a top five it's just love (laughs) that's all it needs Just all of the Ash love. But yeah, Bioshock Infinite. Hopefully we'll get to talk about it again at some point. But if not, just go and check it out. You can pick it up relatively cheap on a variety of different platforms. Enjoy it. Live in that world. John, what's at number two? Brutal as the dictators
4: you'll play, as campy as the camps you'll obliterate, this is the ultimate alternative history strategy series. It takes deep theoretical questions and makes the answers completely bonkers. What would happen if Albert Einstein went back in time and killed Hitler? Well, Stalin would have become a grumpy pantomime villain who owned weaponized Tesla cores and huskies that shoot missiles. Red Alert.
2: Oh, my God. I, I, I Now, I loved Command & Conquer. Don't get me wrong. Total Annihilation. Like, Total Annihilation was my game when mm. I was younger. And then I became a massive Command & Conquer fan. Obviously, lots of people know this. Loved the N64 that had a Command & Conquer and then red alert and it was it, all those parties over friends houses land parties and we would all just play red alert 1 red alert 2 red alert 3 which is the gift that keeps giving with tim curry shouting spaced oh you mean this clip that whole trilogy it's just i i played i I only played last year I replayed 3 last year on the 360 I wanted this high because nothing. I mean, I remember when it was launched and everyone going, "Well, Albert Einstein goes back in time and kills Hitler." And then goes a bit weird. What?
0: <laughs> and you're like, it's, "It's brilliant." Einstein kills Hitler. Sure, have a mega-powered Stalin and huskies that shoot missiles. Also, <laughs> as you said, the third red alert. Here's George Takai. and of course, that clip we've already played once of Tim Curry. Here it is again.
3: I'm escaping. ...to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism...
0: ...Space! Time travel isn't just important to Red Alert, it would not exist without it... ...and in fact the entire series relies on time travel... Mm-hmm. ...with reinvention occurring in every entry. Red Alert 2 was the only game that was a direct sequel... ...in that it didn't require a cr- additional time travel to set up the premise. However, there would then be Yuri's Revenge that would involve additional time travel and that reset the entire timeline again. And then Red Alert 3 was essentially a reboot because whilst in the first game, Einstein removed Hitler, in Red Alert 3, someone else removed Einstein. And basically, to quote David Tennant's doctor, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Japan
2: come a knocking. I mean, it's it's so great. And then Tim Curry's made the, uh, the premiere. Um, um, can we have the clip one more time?
0: Oh, what, this clip? Space. Yes, we can have that clip again.
2: Space.
0: <laughs> it just makes me, like, as soon as I heard Red
2: Alert, as soon as you hear Red Alert, it makes you feel warm. It makes you remember playing it with your mates. It is just, it's iconic. The Red Alert
0: series, the Command & Conquer series, iconic games. But four out of five, Mr Robertson, sir, what is at number one?
4: I challenge anyone to play this game on the SNES and not be overcome by just everything. Like all good RPGs, it's about mood and storytelling. Chrono and his pals are engaging, visiting locations that have decayed over time or been altered by your actions. It feels wonderfully deep for a console that was mostly devoted to a plumber.
0: Chrono Trigger by Square. I was surprised to see this at number one, but I can't argue with it. I can't argue against this being up top because, I mean, it's Chrono, it's in the title, clip. <laughs> And I love that with he's talking primarily about the Super Nintendo version but we also do see footage from the PlayStation version as well. Yeah,
2: that's what I was thinking. I was like, "Well, oh, that looks nice for the SNES version. I don't think that is." Because <laughs> that's where I remember it. I had friends that had had Chrono Trigger for the uh for the PlayStation 1, but I love the sort of con- uh, concept of Chrono Trigger. I love those little anime shorts that you had keeping that story going i think that's when the playstation really really came to life with telling stories and obviously you had final fantasy 7 just around the corner as well i think it's just it's just one of those games yet again it's a game i've never could i've played bits of but i've never played it from start to finish and i think it is a game that i need to
0: well, there are a couple of different options available to you, one of which is play the SNES version, uh, the other of which is play the PlayStation version, the other of which is play the DS version, or play the Steam version, Ooh. which has most of the added content from the DS version. Where's me Steam Deck? <laughs> but that PC version did originally get pretty bad reactions Okay, because it didn't look great, the UI had been adapted badly because it was des- they, they adapted the DS version. So, of course, it was angled towards a touchscreen, which mm-hmm. most PCs don't actually have. But they updated it a number of times. Uh, they added a true 16.9 widescreen mode. And by the time that the last update was released in 2022, so four years after the first version was released for Steam, its ratings have substantially improved and they've basically fixed a lot of the issues. I think they realized it half assed the port to begin with and, yeah, they, they basically, they, they fixed it in the edit, Cliff. <laughs> like this podcast definitely hasn't <laughs> been. Oh, no.
2: Timey too, means There
4: are no stories about time machines where they function without problems. And if there are, then someone has gone back in time and altered the timeline.
0: And then we get the conundrum of if there are anywhere a time machine functions perfectly, someone has gone back in time and altered the timeline. Oh, my head
2: hurts. <laughs> we still haven't stopped with this whole time thing. We've still got to talk about the 3DS XL 2014 edition. Oh, can we just can we just go backwards for a bit? Can we go talk about retro stuff?
0: No, we've got to go forward. Cliff and Dan's here to try and speed things up with the commercial break with his little blue puffer.
3: Play the full song, Dan! (laughs) Now apparently we have to take a three minute break, so I'm going to try to speed things up with the song of double time.
5: Well, that had no effect whatsoever. I must have played the song wrong or something. See you after the break.
6: It's not just the fact that it's portable, it's how you relate to a handheld system.
1: found you my new muller plus corner greek style yogurt that's whipped so creamy it's sheer bliss wonder if i gave an oreo to a vampire in a creepy show would he Get five-star Churchill car insurance from just £158.
2: Oh yeah! Oh, oh. oh yeah!
3: Welcome back. Now, 35 years after Nintendo decided that digital watches needed to be more entertaining, handhelds are still the best way to get your console gaming kicks on the move. Here's our panel of experts to share their tales of portable pleasure.
0: Well, that didn't work, but we're back from the commercial break and we're here to talk about handheld gaming. We are at this point of broadcast 35 years after Nintendo decided digital watches needed to be more entertaining. I see what you did there with a little riff on the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. Mm -hmm. Handhelds are still the best way to get console gaming on the move.
6: My first handheld console was a Game Boy Color. It was a yellow Game Boy Color, and I got it for Pokemon. But then all the other stuff that came out on the Game Boy, because you had such a long history to to go with, I went straight on uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, which is still to this day one of my favorite Zelda games. And the DX version of that is the best version of that. It's just my favourite.
2: Uh, the
1: first handheld console I had was the original Game Boy, because uh, I am that old. That is how old I
2: am. And obviously I had Tetris on it. Everybody had that, Super Mario Land. That was really good. But my favourite game on the Game Boy was probably Tennis. And it was just called Tennis. That, again, this is how old it was. That There was a game just called Tennis.
0: Then we get this handheld gaming section. And to go through the talking heads relatively quickly, Uh, Chris Bond shows he's young by saying his first handheld was a yellow Game Boy Color. He got it. He got it for Pokemon, but then got access, of course, to everything else that came out for the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, like Link's Awakening. Great choice. Still one of his favorites to this day, especially the DX version. I know our friend Luke will definitely agree with that particular choice. Ellie Gibson is the same as me. She started with the OG Game Boy when it comes to Nintendo handhelds. And also, in addition to those standards of Tetris and Mario Land and Tennis, Oh, I did like that tennis game and the World Cup soccer game that came out around the time of the launch where the players are kind of squat pigmen and they just kick seven shades of out of each other. That was a fun game because really it was as much about lamping other people as it was scoring goals. Steve Hogarty is also young, also had the Game Boy colour. The translucent one this time, he got the original Pokemon for it, which made it a much more colourful game. Well, it gave it six colours. Lydia Ellery also had the original Chunky Game Boy, and she remembers being incredibly stressed out by Super Mario Land. I think that anyone that ever got Super Mario Land with their original Game Boy, six gold coins was a much better game. (laughs) Steve McNeil from Go8Bit got his original Game Boy with... Simpson's escape from camp deadly. Cliff I I, I can't. It's 2.0. This is 2.0. I, I, you,
6: no, no. you, no,
0: I can't do this, man.
6: Yeah, you need you to take over.
0: No, no, no. I can't, no, the, I can't.
2: I'm done Ash, Ash, it's 2.0. You, uh, you might have taken out your headphones. You might not be able to hear me, but it's 2.0. So that means you've got to tell the story again. <laughs> Some people might have never heard your story with this game and how devastated it made you. Some there might be that little Jimmy I see you, Jimmy. Little Jimmy sat there going Oh what does what does Cliff mean with the story of Ash? Ash t- can you can you talk about Simpson's escape from Camp Deadly, please?
0: No. Keith Stewart's <laughs> first ever handheld was Mattel Soccer, 1978 vintage. He remembers it being chocolate brown and looking at it. It is, it it is is very 1978. (laughs) I wanted to bite it. (coughs) It was acceptable in the 70s, like flared trousers and wife swapping.
5: My favorite handheld console, um, Game Boy Advance. Um, I obsessively played Yoshi's Island uh, during university. I think that was the, the main piece of education I brought back with me.
6: I think my favorite handheld console is probably the 3DS or the Vita. They're both new, but that's what makes them so good. Whereas, yeah, I think other consoles in the past were great. I mean, you know, you can't deny uh, Tetris or Pokemon or Zelda or anything on the Game Boy. But let's be honest, a lot of them were just watered down versions of their bigger brothers on the main consoles. Whereas I feel like now handheld gaming is hitting a point where the experiences are themselves worthwhile. And they're worthwhile because they're handheld.
0: But then they move on to the favorites. And you would actually think that most people would just go with their first as their favorite. No... I think I see where Chris is coming from here. I, I get that because also I got my Vita very late in its life. Like, I think it was actually already end of life when I got the Vita. Mm-hmm. But I took it with me on a long work trip where I was doing multiple flights, covering multiple continents and really spending a lot of time sat in hotel rooms with not a lot to do and no reliable internet. So having a Vita was great. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was playing like the Uncharted games, or I was going back and playing the Final Fantasy ports that occurred for it and playing some of those others and even playing some of the beat-em-up ports that happened, which sadly it didn't have some of the best and even some of them looked a bit janky. But I was just going... This looks great. This feels great. This feels like I'm just playing on a PlayStation, never mind that it's handheld. And you look at it, compare it to the 3DS and the Vita just looked like miles, miles ahead of it, particularly with that early OLED screen. Never mind your Nintendo Switches. Check Sony out a decade earlier. Well, I think that I never got the Vita, unfortunately, but
2: I had the same sort of experience with the PSP because that PSP, like, at the time, the DS was huge. I had my PSP, and obviously, you got the UMDs on there. I'd knackered my PSP out. I had emulators on there that I definitely didn't play, Game Boy Advance games as well. I mean, there's certain movies that I watched for the first time that are huge to me now, like Zombie, Zombieland. I first saw that on a UMD. For me, I just... uh, That PSP was... I wish I'd got the Vita. I wish I'd got the Vita. But I, when the Vita came out, I was living still abroad. And it was, unfortunately, out of my budget to get a Vita at that point. But it's one of those ones that I, I would love to get a PSP back, but I
0: would love a Vita. It's Well, with the Vita, you can play the Vita games and the PSP games. And I think with what my favourite is as
2: well, I think it comes down to... Experiences I had. Because I love my Game Boy Color. I've got it still sat behind me. The Game Boy camera pu- plugged into it. I last year got very excited and messaged everyone who was wanting to listen about my lovely skeleton original Game Boy I found um, in perfect condition and it sat behind me as well. Got very excited. But the, the Game Boy Advance. The Game Boy Advance is the my favorite if that's an sp version if that's an og version i don't care just game boy advance just that library of games just makes me so happy i could play a lot of those snes games on the on the go um and obviously you had the first real mario remakes in the way of the uh, original mario advance and obviously mario advance 4 which i believe was mario brothers 3 um, I think that, you know, that that was brilliant to be able to take those out about you. That's that's my favourite. They they mean so much to me now. I I think my SP is the
0: most played
2: handheld I have. That that usually comes from me
0: everywhere. I'll work out where to drop the clip in, but I want to drop in clip of Ellie. Well, someone's got to pick the Gizmondo. I love Ellie for this, genuinely, because it, a jack of all trades, master of none. That's the Gizmondo. It was ugly, it was terrible, it was called the Gizmondo, that says it all. I love how she picks it and she can't even highlight any games. <laughs> it's, it, it is literally a case of I'm picking this because it was kind of sh-. And I can't tell if it's genuinely her favourite or if it was picked for the comedy. Either way, entirely fair. Uh, Julia, I think, goes the same way of a lot of people, which is picking the OG Game Boy. Keith goes for the GBA because it came out when his sons were babies and going by the Game Boy they, they show it looks like it's covered in a fine veneer of like kid vomit <laughs> definitely around the shoulder buttons it's, quite, it's got to be the Game Gear hasn't it
2: it's, it, it was basically a Sega Master System it, the battery life was about three minutes so you couldn't actually play on it unless it was plugged into the mains which sort of defeated the point of the handheld console
0: and Steve McNeil look, look at little posh boy over here with his bank of batteries he chose the Game Gear yeah not my favourite I love it. It was my
2: first, but it's never going to be my favourite.
0: I was thinking, what is mine? I'm looking at the Switch and I'm looking at the 3DS and I'm looking at the Vita and I'm looking at the Game Boy Advance and I'm going, hmm. And I think I'm going to go with the original Game Boy, but specifically the red Game Boy Pocket Oh, love a pocket. Because it fit inside my coat pocket. I was still catching the bus a lot at the time and I always had with me tetris street fighter 2 the game boy port which was remarkably good Mm -hmm. for what it was and the legend of zelda and i only needed those three games really because tetris is the one that spent 90 percent of the time in the in the thing because i would just take it out and i'd play game boy for 45 minutes on the bus and i'd be happy as larry i wish i had that much time to dig to dedicate to tetris now because i used to be a really really good tetris player Not at the kind of, you know, end gaming in 13 minutes or whatever that's going on now on Twitch and stuff with 13-year-olds. But I was a really, really good player. But then they move on to the question of why is handheld gaming popular?
6: I think handheld gaming is interesting because it's not the same as console gaming in any way. It's not just the games that you play on. it. It's not just the fact that it's portable. It's how you relate to a handheld system. So, I mean, I kind of, the way I use a handheld system is the way that you might use a, a book. It's, it's it's something that you can use not only like say on the train but when you're in bed and stuff it's, it's it's not something that you need to sit around and have this big experience it's something you can just pull out very quickly for sort of 10 minutes at a time and and get some enjoyment out of. and it makes games like Ollie uh, Ollie or hotline Miami really just even better to be played on a system like that because you get just really quick fire bursts of action and it's almost like going back to the arcade in the sense that you only play it, you're only expected to play for a really short period of time and that short period of time is designed to be as rewarding as possible I get what they mean by relating to mm. a handheld system, I don't think I relate to a console
0: that sits under the TV but I have emotional, like you do with your PSP
5: mm.
0: and you're, I have an emotional attachment to some of my consoles like, particularly when I pick up the 3DS or the Game Boy Advance or the Vita, there's a, there's a physical connection because I'm like, come on, we're going on an adventure. There's, there's no reason why a handheld should have
2: such an attachment to us. You look at, let's say, especially like the original Game Boy, that you were saying about that Street Fighter port, However, there are some awful... I So, I love the Game Boy Color GTA, which everyone else would go, what? But I love that, because that was the only GTA I had. But there's there, there, this connection that you get with your your handhelds. And I, I have it with the... Under, obviously, the N64, the GameCube, but I have an emotional connection to those. But there's something about sit in i I still do it now and people will if i've got a game boy color people will double look and they'll give you a bit of a smile because you don't have to be a
0: massive gamer to love handheld gaming no no not at all i mean the 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 ds infamously sold to grandparents you Mm. know brain training and (laughs) all those kind of like slightly more games that are not really traditional games but they're gimmick games yeah, I, I think handheld gaming is certainly the most accessible. I mean, even if you look back at version one of Under Consultation, the amount of celebrities when they said, oh, are you a gamer? Most of them would go, oh, I've got a Game Boy, particularly in the later series. Like yeah. they wouldn't say, oh, I've got a Super Nintendo or a Mega Drive. It'd be like, oh, I've got a Game Boy that I keep in the trailer. You know, it would be that it would be that sort of connection. And it's portable. It's accessible. It doesn't require taking over a television. It doesn't require a ton of cables. You don't get kicked off of it. Yeah, you won't. You'll get told off if you're playing it at the table while you're trying to eat your, your dinner.
5: Why is handheld gaming popular? I think it's, it's that really common thing of the smaller something is, the more blindly impressed people are by it. And, you know, people don't want to lug around the consoles.
0: Emily thinks And I think she's right in this, that the smaller something is, the more people are impressed by it. (laughs) And while that's not what Cosmopolitan says, she is right that people don't want to lug around a big console. Even today, and I said it earlier when we were talking about playing Majora's Mask, I am more likely to chug my Ambernac, my GBA, my 3DS or my Vita in my bag for a day away than I am the Switch. Mm -hmm. Because the Switch, it's like, oh, do I have the the Joy-Cons clicked onto the side... Do I have the right case for it? You know, do I have to take it out of the dock? With the others, it's a case of, I just throw it in my bag, maybe a USB cable, you know, adapter thing to charge it off a battery bank if I need to. And away we go, particularly with the 3DS and the Vita. All the games just sit on the console anyway. Well, I I made the conscious decision when I bought
2: my Switch to get the Switch Lite. I wanted it as a portable console. And I, yet again, I was like, well, even with the Joy-Cons on the side, this doesn't feel like a portable console. And that's why I went
0: for the light. They also bring up the fact that it doesn't need to be hour-long sessions. It can be a quick session. They harken it back to the arcade. They throw up a couple of titles. Oli Oli is a great game. Hotline Miami is a great game. And I'd argue yeah. Hotline Miami you can actually play long sessions of. But Oli Oli it's a great 10-minute burst game. Also, they bring up the fact it's the only console you can play under the duvet, or at least the only one without being a fire hazard. <laughs> and Ellie brings up that it also gives you the ability to multi-screen. She can play Candy Crush on her mobile and watch Real Housewives on the TV, and that's not a waste of a life. Is it? Is it, Cliff? Well, we've de- dedicated Blooming podcast to gaming, so <laughs> if it is, who's laughing now? <laughs> but the final word goes to McNeil.
2: Why is handheld gaming so popular? I think, there's, well, there's lots of reasons, aren't there? But I think, for, for me, the main one would be that I hate talking to people on public transport. So just, just make sure you've got your headphones in there. That's the trick. i would learn like that the hard way on a train to Bristol.
0: Yeah, I hate talking to people on public transport. Yep. That's absolutely it. But anyway, we're rounding the corner. The moon has almost crashed into the earth. Let's see what Aoife and Dan have to say on the new 3DS.
1: Up until recently, I'd not really paid enough attention to handheld consoles. I mean, yeah, I used to steal my cousin's classic Game Boy to play Pokemon Red, but at heart, I was a PC and console gamer. Now though, I've got a PS Vita and an original 3DS with a Circle Pad Pro attachment, though the latter doesn't really get the love and attention it deserves. I think my aversion stems from the fact that I like big screens and I'm not a total fan of its 3D features, which can sometimes feel crudely implemented. But Nintendo's first really big hardware update to the 3DS just might change my mind. This is the new Nintendo 3DS XL. Now, I haven't had the chance to spend much time with it yet, but I believe I know someone who has.
0: Do you know, I think I was the cousin with the Game Boy. I don't think I ever kind of got to do that whole, ooh, can I borrow your game console? Aoife was not much into her handheld. She was more a PC and console gamer. But, she's older and wiser now, she has a Vita and a 3DS, and does immediately admit, somewhat possibly to the chagrin of Nintendo UK who provided the review units, that, eh, I didn't really give the 3DS the time of day. (laughs) And I can't disagree with that, because I didn't have a 3DS, I only jumped on with the new 3DS. Oh, did you really? I had an original DS, then I went to the smaller DS, which I think was the DS Lite. But Mm -hmm. I missed the DSi, missed the original 3DS, then went to the new 3DS XL. And that's the one that I've still got ready to take with me this weekend to play more Majora's Mask. But it certainly changed my mind. Maybe it will change hers. Because this isn't just the same 3DS as before, but with a new hat or a new case or a smaller case. They did make some fairly major changes Mm -hmm. but weirdly I don't think they ever got fully utilised some games
2: they made were so expansive that you couldn't play them on the original 3DS so they did uh, uh, The Binding of Isaac, um, which is a very popular game at the moment, um, but the Rebirth version, Uh, you had Dragon Fang X you had Fire Emblem game Fire Emblem Warriors You had the Minecraft game, which uh, was the 3DS version. You had Runbow, Pockets, War and Romance, and Xenoblade uh, Chronicles 3D. So they were the sort of exclusive games that came out for it, but it sort of defines it as a different console. And it's a shame that they didn't do more games as such, because the the launch title that comes out with this is the um, Majora's Mask. And that's what made me go and get my 3DS at that time but I got the 3DS XL the original version, hence why we spoke earlier about me getting confused about where the bloody nubbin was of mine but it, it would I think it would just be nice if they could do more did more with these Games, you know, make more exclusives for these games because it was so much more powerful, and and because of that, it needed a little bit of a boost in battery life. It went from a 1,400 milliamp battery to a 1,750 milliamp battery, which sort of gave it about 1.5 hours extra playtime. Because the DS has actually got a really good battery in it, anyways. But you know, the 3DS, sorry, so to have that little bit of a boost. I mean, it lasts longer than my
0: Switch ever does. It, I mean, the battery life was to give it a bit of a boost, but also because whilst it stayed relatively the same in spec, in speed, massive bump. Like that processor going from 200 odd megahertz, 268 megahertz, that was it, mm. to 804. Yeah, so, that's huge. big old boost. The second processor, because there were two processors, mm-hmm. stayed the same, as did the graphics chip. The graphics chip didn't even go up in clock speed. It was exactly the same, which means that they were putting all the extra processor heavy lifting on the main CPU. They were basically going, that can compensate for the other components. Maybe they did that simply to simplify any changes to the development process. They increased the VRAM. was used by the gpu that was one change they did make but also they increased the main system memory they doubled it 128 meg to 256 and talking of storage and memory they went from a full-size sd card to a micro sd card although awkward placement underneath the battery on the (laughs) bottom thanks nintendo and we've already mentioned bonk and obviously we talked quite a bit about the pc engine on our focus episode But I actually look at the new 3DS and then I think of that successor to the PC Engine, which played all the old games but actually only had about five dedicated titles. And here we are with the new 3DS that played all the old games but only had a limited amount of dedicated titles some titles ran better some new titles ran better so some games would like run at maybe 20 frames per second on the original 3ds Mm -hmm. with occasional dips below 20 and occasional bursts to 30 whereas you put it on the new 3ds it's a locked 30. Uh, A few games did actually have definitive graphical improvements and in the case of um, Xenoblades I mean Xenoblades is a Wii game it is essentially a Wii game on the 3ds hyrule warriors as well is essentially a wii u game on the 3ds that was one that did run on the original 3ds but the new 3ds is where you did see a real improvement like a 50 percent increase in frame rate and of course the c stick was essential for that if you were using the old 3ds you needed to buy that weird oh we're going to add an extra c stick onto the side (laughs) plug-in that was, that was Nintendo going, yeah, we kind of biffed that one, didn't we? Yeah, we didn't think ahead.
2: <laughs> but one thing that I'm glad that they did stick with was the thing of the 3D. Because being a man with a lazy eye, the 3D actually works. I'm sure you know a bit more of how the 3D works on this, but the 3D really works on a 3DS. And the thing is that I can't have it on too long because i get a bit of motion headaches sometimes yeah and i think with this i, I would really like to play the new uh 3ds because it it's got the be- it's got the addition of the gyro sensor obviously the sensor inside of it making sure that movement they go into a little bit here you know if you're on the bus and you're jinky janky all over the place it keeps in line with you and senses you a lot better so it will stop those those motion sickness moments or those headache moments and i'm glad that they did stick with the 3ds but the 3d element of the 3ds because it could have easily been ah it didn't work ah, just it's just there but they didn't they tried to improve the experience and it would be nice to go back and play some of those games that necessarily i don't usually play because it gives me a little bit of a headache on 3d i'd like to go back and have a little go on those again with the new 3ds
0: i mean it wasn't even just any gyro sensors they had a camera doing face tracking the camera in the lid of the 3ds was actually tracking your face much like i mean you think it was ahead of its time Mm -hmm. phones do that now yep face tracking and head tracking and it means that occasionally if you suddenly moved your head you would still get that moment where the 3ds goes and and then it, but then it locks back in because it's like, oh, their head has moved this amount to the side. I still can't play it for a huge amount of time with 3D. Like, I, particularly if I'm on a moving bus or something, I feel a bit after a while. Yeah. But when it works, it works so well. And still, one of the things I love with the 3DS is the slider to define how deep the 3D is. I think not even just having it like as a digital button, but the fact you can go. Rrr, rrr, rrr. It always reminds me of the old Game Boy with the uh,
2: the contrast wheel on the side. It always yeah. makes me always think of that because I don't know why, but I think it's because I think it's volume and I automatically just go to that right-hand... Sorry, go to that left-hand side and go, whoop, and move it all the way up and go, oh, no, it's the contrast wheel. Get it right back. And it's that element of getting the perfect mix. It
0: always reminds me of that with the 3DS. One of the oddities is that they bumped up the CPU, they bumped up memory, they bumped up battery life, they bumped up, you know, the ability for the 3D to do face tracking, to hold motion. But the screens, even though they're bigger, are still the same resolution. And genuinely, 400 by 240. That's that's why some of these games still look janky. I think genuinely there's more power under the hood of the 3DS, the new 3DS, than could be exploited by that display uh, i can't work out if it was cost saving or if again they were just like ah but if we change the resolution the internal resolution then that makes more work for game developers it's also we are only a few years away from the switch
2: yeah that was what i was going to say do you think they didn't make the most of this because they didn't get a chance
0: to make the most of this I think developers had already decided they wanted to move to the Switch. Like, if there were already people out there who had an idea the Switch was coming, maybe had early dev kits, not even internal to Nintendo, but third parties, Mm. they might still stick some games out for the 3DS. They might have even sticked games out for the 3DS after the Switch launches. But they're not going to be putting the beans into it when they've got this new console over here that's both a handheld and a set-top. Mm-hmm. It is kind of funny because, of course, as the 3DS has gone on and the new 3DS has gone on, there's various mods, there's various things you can do. There's all sorts of like bits and pieces you can do to run homebrew or hack the 3DS to mod it to change the clock speeds. And one of the things people worked out they could do was they could patch old 3DS games to run at a faster speed because games would not, unless they were specifically patched or coded, take advantage of the extra processor. So Luigi's Mansion 3DS runs way faster and way smoother when patched, but conversely, if they try and underclock the processor and then try and run Xenoblades on a old 3DS spec new 3DS, it just doesn't run, it, it, it doesn't like Cliff, it does not like, it clunks. It goes oh, below wow. 20 frames. It's like five frames per second. It struggles as soon as you go into open areas. But even looking back at comparisons that were made at the time when people were going, oh, this is a new 3DS. This is a different. This is what we can work out. This is what's on the paper. This is what our you know, hardware engineers found. Even going back to those 2015 articles, hmm. there's talk of the NX hardware, which is, of course, what would become the Nintendo Switch. This is, I think, where I get into why I will still, for a quick blast, be more likely to throw my 3DS, my Vita, my Anbanak, my Game Boy Advance into my bag than my Switch. Because a Nintendo Switch, whether it's a Lite or an OLED or an original, it's still, in a handheld mode, a personal gaming experience. The screen size sits somewhere between a phone and a, and a full tablet, But I find myself, when I'm sat on, say, like an overground train or a bus or even a traditional train, if I'm playing on the Switch, I kind of feel the width of my shoulders. I feel that I'm having to hold myself in a certain way Mm -hmm. to play the Switch. But if I've got a Game Boy or if I've got a 3DS, I'm able to kind of tuck into myself. The screen is just for me. People would have to try to see what's on it. And... This is purely personal but I think that is why as much as I love the Switch I still mainly play it docked, at home sat on a sofa or in bed or even here at my desk if I'm taking a quick break or like at least multiple long train journeys where the train's been quiet, I've just popped it up on the stand and grabbed the Pro Controller out of my bag and just played it like it's a tablet stood up. See, with the Switch I feel that i'm similar that i'd usually
2: go out with a game boy advance as i said before my sp is still that perfect size to just go straight into your front pocket my 3ds i still collect buy games for my 3ds i recently bought the kirby game where he goes around in his massive mech costume and i mean that is just glorious it's a kirby game but occasionally kirby turns into a massive robot it's fantastic it's glorious um and the same with my ds uh, XL. i love playing pokemon on that going on the go it's the perfect i think it's one of the perfect that original ds XL. you know you've got some great games on there however nowadays with the switch the switches as i said i got a switch Lite because i felt like it was more of a personal handheld computer rather than a computer that you can have dots and can't have dots. And then recently this year, I got my Steam Deck. And I think that's the next generation of all this. I could sit there and play games. And I did it recently going on uh, from Hampshire to Bristol. I can sit there and it's a huge old screen and you relax. But I think I get what you mean. It's not a handheld journey it's such an open experience but at the same time you can see where the argument comes in with the switch now i think we're talking about the end of the 3ds's journey but we're actually in our current timeline at the end of the switch's journey would you would you ever want to see nintendo go back to a console for console's sake and then back to handheld for handheld's sake
0: no genie's out the bottle Mm. Nintendo will be going back to a dedicated handheld market that would only be existing for them. Sony's given it up. The closest we've got is a cloud player from them. Even your Steam Deck and all the Steam Deck clones that are coming about. Mm. Sure, they're handheld devices, but as we've discussed you doing, you can plug it into a monitor. Yeah, you, know, you can plug a keyboard and a mouse in via a USB hub and suddenly, boom, you've got a Steam PC. So I think the genie's out of the bottle. What I guess I would like to see... Mm. If they're going to do a new Nintendo Switch Lite, Mm -hmm. consider making it dockable. Give people the choice of screen size. If a Nintendo Switch Lite was dockable, even if it was slightly thicker, I would have still considered that over a standard Switch because it's like, cool, I've got my game on the go, but also I can plug it in and play it on the big screen. Like if I was to get a Nintendo Switch Lite new Nintendo Switch or Lite or or original, it would only, at the moment, it would only ever be as a secondary Switch. Mm -hmm. But also, with transfer of saves and whatnot, that just feels messy.
1: You've been playing Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate and Majora's Mask, which I'm very, very jealous about. But how have you been finding the new console? Um, well in both
3: cases you can definitely tell there's a difference, there's mm. a definite improvement in performance over the previous 3DS consoles
1: okay.
3: uh, and also just the new facets of the hardware are incredibly useful too. Mm. Uh, one, I'm using the 3D a lot more.
1: Oh really? Yes. Okay. And
3: I, I guess we'll go into that in a bit more mm. detail and secondly, uh, the C stick really helps.
1: Yes, yeah, so everyone, I mean that was the one thing that everyone really wanted was a second stick. Yes. So how, do you, how are you finding it?
3: It's good. It's unusual. Nintendo are being Nintendo, and when they could have just moved the buttons down slightly and put an exact you know, replica of the stick on the left, they've gone with this nubbin.
1: It is. It's a nubbin.
3: It's a
2: it's nubbin. Exactly it's exactly nubbin. what it is.
0: But back to Aoife <laughs> and Dan, and he's loving that C-stick nubbin. And this is where an interesting design decision from Nintendo came up, is because when they did the add-on second analogue stick for the original 3DS, it was just a mirror of the analogue stick on the other side. But this one, they've looked at the ThinkPad... And they've looked at that style of laptop and gone, no, what you want is a nubbin. Nubbins. (laughs) And it's an odd bird. I always got on with it because I grew up with Thinkpads. I grew up with laptops, some of which didn't have a trackpad. They just had a nubbin in the middle of the keyboard. So I'm used to having this pointer controller that doesn't have a lot of travel, that doesn't have a lot of movement, but is surprisingly very reactive like to acceleration and being accurate but you need to get used to it and i still think there's a lot of people that didn't i think having seen some of the clamshell uh gpxd emulation devices where they have gone for two analog sticks a d-pad and four buttons i can see why nintendo didn't do that for me it just takes up so much of the the device
2: It, it gets in the way
0: yeah or it makes it uncomfortable to do the sticks yeah. and the shoulder buttons, because there's two additional shoulder buttons on the 3DS as well. We've got the ZL and the ZR. Dan even makes a joke here. It's like, Nintendo do what Nintendo
2: do best, and instead of just moving down the buttons, they've given us a nubbin. But you see, it's not just a Nintendo thing. You see it with so many of
0: these clone devices at the moment. Like, why have you got everything so <laughs> close together? What are you doing? I've not picked up a clamshell emulation device because I've picked up a few and looked at a few. Mm. I've not picked up one which has made me go, yeah, this feels comfortable. Ah, You you just need your Steam Deck with your trackpads. It's all about the trackpads, mate. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm just talking about the clamshell. So (laughs) the folding like the 3DS, like Steam Deck and that ilk, that's a different beast. That's a different kettle of fish. But they also bring up here the face tracking technology we discussed earlier. It works exactly as it should have worked in the first place.
1: The one thing that's kind of troubling me is it's still missing a charger in the box, isn't it? Yes. Why are they doing this?
3: It's ridiculous. It's kind of saying, if you don't buy a charger, this is a one-use-only console it in the bin.
1: It's just like, I mean, I, <laughs> I kind of got it when they did it the first time around, but now it's like, come on, guys, this is, this is completely new. I mean, you've added so much new stuff. So it's it's, it's a
3: hidden cost, okay. and it's and it's the most cynical form of hidden cost as well. And,
1: I mean, I know that that cost won't be very much, but it just seems mad to assume that this essential piece of kit like people will just have.
3: Yeah, I don't know. The logic behind, but you know, yeah. aside from just total greed. Mm-hmm.
0: They do bring up something that Nintendo thankfully stopped doing, which is chargers. There was that period of time when yes. Nintendo just went, nah, we're gonna assume everyone bought a DSI or a DS Lite. I remember when I got my 3DS XL, the
2: original, and then got it home, oh, so excited, and then had to walk all
0: the way back into town. My most common charging method now for my 3DS is. It's the custom connector on one end, it's a USB standard on the other, and I just plug it into any 5-volt, one amp, and boom, off it goes. See, here's the thing. If Nintendo had just thrown a wire in... That's it. That would have been fine. I am fine buying a USB device which doesn't come with a plug for the wall and just comes with a cable if it's a custom connector.
2: Everyone's got 200 plugs with a standard USB from Samsung's
0: and Apple's, and we've all got plugs lying around the place they do raise that this does come across as money grabbing from nintendo i think it's a mixture between money grabbing and also cost cutting because they were just like if we don't include a charger it means we've got basically the same skus globally we I don't have it- to worry about changing up the the pack in. it also keeps the box really small bang on that's exactly
2: what they do because mobile phones uh, do that now it's not there to money grab because you could just go out and buy any old plug or any old lead from anywhere. It's it's not a money grab at all. It's there to make those original
0: cost-cutting measures. I mean, I got a new iPhone recently. Look how thin that box is. I know. But we get down to the crux of this, which is not even is this worth getting if you don't have a 3DS, which I guess would have been my position at the time. But is this worth the upgrade from a 3DS original to the new 3DS.
1: So, okay, ultimately, is it worth the upgrade?
3: Um, if you're going to play it as frequently as I am,
1: which is a lot, which is a lot, <laughs>
3: um, then then yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, aside from the improved 3D, aside from the fact that the C stick completely, mm-hmm. you know, makes makes it a portable again, mm-hmm. and also because there is a definite performance improvement mm-hmm. as well. I've seen improved frame rates in the games that I've played. Um, then, then yes, it is an it is an overall upgrade. I think if you were asking the question about a new iPhone or something similar to that, yeah. people wouldn't even bat an eyelid if they were buying one year on year. The new 3DS is is such an overall improvement mm. that I think it's definitely worth making the upgrade.
1: I'm really quite tempted to get one now.
0: When you say get one, do you mean steal that
3: one?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. For Dan, the answer is yes, and for me, as a non-3DS owner. It was also once I'd had the chance to pick one up and play with one and see, oh wow, this really has changed from the mm. original 3DS. That to me was the moment where I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. Because I was a Nintendo kid. I'd been I did have a Wii, but I'd been away from the handheld game for a few generations since the like the, the DS Lite. And there were lots of games I wanted to play, both old and new. And in fact, I think I spent most of my early time on that new 3DS, just playing Star Fox. That's where it was. <laughs> We're going to have to do a whole show on that, aren't we? Um, but I think
2: it's one of those consoles that I don't own, but if I saw it going, like I'm always on the lookout for a get, uh, Game Boy Mini, uh, so I'm always after a Mini Game Boy, but I never can find them in Nice Nick. But that's another one now. I think it is on the list. I, I would like to see what it's like i would like to see what the difference is i want to see as that sort of wannabe gaming historian to see what the first hand what the differences were so i've got to admit doing this podcast has opened my eyes to a console that may have just been such a a flash in the pan that i missed it I'm looking forward to going and finding one now and giving it a go.
0: Well, next time we're in the same place at the same time, I'll try and remember just to bring mine along because then you can just boot it up and chances are Star Fox 64 3DS (laughs) will be already open. (laughs) is also pretty sold on this and so she's just going to try and nick this one. (laughs) But Cliff, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Video Game Nation. Or is it? Right,
3: so that's what we think of the new 3DS. But how about you? Are you tempted to pick one up? How about a copy of Majora's Mask or Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate to go with it? Or do you even think that handheld gaming is no longer relevant? Whatever your thoughts, share them with us on our Facebook page or on Twitter using the hashtag VGN or just pass a note on to Aoife who'll give it to me if Teacher doesn't catch us first. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Or is it?
6: I don't
0: think you've played that right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it is. It's definitely... I know, I'm, you're still annoyed they're not playing the full song. To, Get but, over what, yourself.
2: Why did, look, it, it wasn't even... It was like a bit
0: of it. Oh. So this is our second time round mm. with Video Game Nation. And the first time round, obviously, we went a lot into the dynamic with the presenters and what we thought about the show. And I'm glad we got this for our second episode because the first episode game center cx was a risk because it was a very different type of show Mm -hmm. it was entirely in japanese we were relying on fan subs and it was an hour long so being able to come back to video game nation for our second episode was just nice and i said it before and i actually have already said it again although you won't hear me saying it again for another two weeks, but I'll say it for a third time now, these are beautiful time capsule episodes of specific moments, games, devices, hardware, trends. I personally think that these may view better now than they did when they were first released. Completely agree, because
2: all they are fundamentally is a magazine show. Yet now, they're, as you said, they're a capsule of the time. And I think that actually, as years go by, this will be something that I will go and watch more, 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 more because I go, oh, ooh, ooh that's a good... They were good years of gaming. And in the over 100-episode run, you know, Video Game Nation covered so, so much from you know we had the movie tying games and talking about alien isolation which still stands up now as one of the best uh, movie tying games and it's also great to go back and discuss something at the time which was like oh is this going to really change our experience with the 3ds and have that knowledge of what's just on the horizon and how it did change video games and how they're played again which nintendo I'll give it to them. Did very well with the Switch. So it, it'd be lovely to come back in, like, let's say 10 years' time and watch this from start to finish and see how much, even more, that's moved on after another generation or possibly another two generations of how
0: all this is going. So it goes without saying that, much like that first episode of Video Game Nation, this is a definite recommend. Mm-hmm. Go and check it out. All of series two, three, and four are on YouTube. Half of series one is. The first 20 or so episodes are gone to the mists of time, sadly. So you can't go and watch the first appearance of John Robertson when he was just there to discuss the darkroom. You can't quite see kind of the immediate change that happened between episode 20 and episode 21. But you can go and check out a full three seasons that cover the years 2015 and 2016. So you can go and you can look at discussions on the Wolfenstein New Order games. There are episodes on Grim Fandango Remastered. That's only a couple of episodes on Mm. from the one we did. There's an episode on a favourite of mine, Rock Band 4. There is so many episodes dedicated to some of these iconic titles that came out in a period of time where... I'm scrolling down, and I'm going, man, a lot of really, really cool stuff came out. And Cliff, just so you know, Season 4, Episode 18, was on a console called the Nintendo 64.
6: What's it?
0: I've never heard of it. What's one of them? (laughs) (laughs) They do talk about Ocarina of Tim. But that kind of wraps us up for Video Game Nation for now because utp extra will be topic appropriate albeit not time appropriate unless you have an ocarina because we will be covering the legends of zelda
2: cartoon series where we'll be talking about the history of zelda in let's say animated form it's a it's a fairly sad story because i think mario got a lot more love than zelda has over the years however come and join
0: us for that Uh, it should be a lovely lovely journey obviously this episode is episode one our second episode for patreons only will be UCP extra on the legend of Zelda cartoon our third episode available on the free feed will be on Majora's Mask in general Cliff will be leading us on that particular deep dive and then the fourth week again for patreons will be UCN under console nation but this is a leap year there are annoyingly five thursdays in february so we will be going back to video game nation or specifically one third of the hosting team of video game nation as i will be joined by one john robertson aka robotron aka that very loud shouty australian guy called john (laughs) i recorded the interview with him this afternoon I'm not sure some of it can stay in. (laughs) It's going to be a blast of an episode for me to edit. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you all. We cover his origins, his gaming history. We talk about the dark room. We make some questionable jokes about former presidents. And then we talk about his experience on Video Game Nation, as well as what he's got coming up in the future. But all of that is still to come in February. Thank you so much for listening, for joining us, for subscribing. If you would be so kind, if you could like, rate and review on your platform of choice, if you could share us on social media, if you could let like-minded people know that we're over here doing this thing, it would be very much appreciated. And speaking of social media, you can find us over on
2: Twitter at under console pod or on the Instagram or threads at under dot console. And if you want to come and join some fine, fine young ladies and fellows and all everything else, come over to our lovely discord where you'll find yeah some relatively absolutely awesome people. Go and find the link in the show notes below. And if you want to come and support us monetarily, you can do so at
0: Patreon, but only give what you can, only if you can. Indeed, and if you do support us over on Patreon, at all levels, you will get the aforementioned UCP Extra episodes, as well as under Console Nation, our monthly community podcast. Then at the £5 level, you get that, plus early access to our regular episodes, which will always be uncensored and ad-free. And then if you're backers at the 10 pound level, you get UCP extra, UCN, the early access uncensored ad-free episodes and you get to be part of our monthly Golden Joystick Waggler Waffle calls. Yay! Which will also then be made available later for other 10 pound and 5 pound backers to listen into and find out what they've been missing out. But Cliff, most importantly of all, if you're a 10 pound backer, you get to be on this list which I'm reading out now. <laughs> Andrew Greenwood, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chrissy Two Sticks, David Palmer, Gordon King, Gordon Brandt, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Manga Girl, I am Cheetle, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Link Campbell, Mark A, Matty Boo, Misha Summer, Reese Wynn, Sean Dunn, Selena BN, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, Will C, and Xanderthal. That's us for another UCP.
2: Come and join us in a week's time, Patreons, for a bit of a UCP extra with the Legends of Zelda cartoon... But that's a good night from me. Have a... We shall see you all very, very soon.
0: Hi, Def. Good night.